Oh man, Dan, you just really got to the essence of why we wrote this book. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, because so many people right now, ourselves included, I mentioned before, like, what are we going to do about this world? Why are things mm -hmm. the way they are right now? And mm -hmm. it's like, if there's so much talking, there's so much thinking, there's so much, you know, posturing on social media mm -hmm. and telling everything. It's like, how do we connect to that place of rest, that place of expansiveness from which the words and thoughts and ideas arise? Welcome to Do It With Dan, entrepreneurial philanthropist, public speaker and author, creator of the Beyond Intention Paradigm. Here is your host, Daniel Mengena. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Do It With Dan podcast, here with two magical golden humans. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> that makes sense when we get a bit into it. Justin and Lee have put together a book that looks like magic. I haven't had the chance to read it yet because at the time of recording, we are three days pre-release. At the time of release, that's right, today, here and now, it is available. We'll pop the link in the show notes. My intention is to get you guys as jizzy jazz, sexy, yummy, delicious, happy, excited to read it as I am so that you go ahead and get it without further ado or more fandangling from me. Lee, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Sure. My name is Lee Mars. Thanks for having us, Dan. Um, do you want me to say anything about maybe my work? I guess I'm a yeah, collaboration. Do yeah, we're do here, it. We're, we're, we're here to learn about you, mama. We're here to learn about you. So um, I call myself a collaboration consultant for lack mm. of a better term. That means I help facilitate groups when they come together to be more innovative, come up with new ideas. They're working on complex problems like climate change and removing toxic chemicals from our products, things like that. So I work with a lot of scientists and engineers. And I'm also a longtime student of some pioneering uh, people working in the ritualized use of psychedelics in the West. Ooh, ritualized use of psychedelics. Something tells me this is going to be interesting. Sir Justin, <laughs> Lord of the Donuts. This is a secret <laughs> name that only he and I and Lee are aware of. Please introduce yourself. At, but I have to do a quick tangent. My big thing, my big experience that led me to do the work that I do now was in the mountains of Santa Fe, New Mexico on the 13th of February, 2018. So the synchronicity, not only of the donuts, but of my basically rebirthing place is present with you. So why don't you let the people know who you are and what you do, sir? Dan, thank you for that. And I didn't know that. Yes. I don't want to give away too many secrets, but I just do want to say that Dan and I just had a beautiful <laughs> little connection over a kind of donut that they own. <laughs> As I know in Santa Fe, New Mexico, that's <laughs> blue corn, really crispy, and um, and lavender frosting on top. So it's uh, it's something you know. I gotta I gotta rep my hometown here. It's not a big <laughs> what up, Santa Fe place. in the house. Santa but Fe it's, in the house. It's so good to be with you, Dan, and um, so appreciate what you're doing. And um, my name is Justin, as as you mentioned. And I have worked for many years at the intersection of politics and economics and social action on one side and contemplative life, meditation, mindfulness, studies of how to lead a happy, fulfilled life. On the other hand, um, I was a policymaker in the U.S. Congress for many years working on um, progressive foreign policy and economic policy and, and environmental policy. And I also worked as a meditation teacher on Capitol Hill there. So that's been kind Ooh. of the, the core common thread to my life is how we bridge more calm and consciousness 
to the work of making public change? I have to say, I have to say, we're laughing because we just had a break that you guys didn't see, but um, some of the, the ladies just came to do some stuff at the window. We're practicing mindfulness and being present here. It's all beautiful. Um, we want some golden silence while we're recording. There's another one. I, I have to say, it's awesome that, Lee, you're doing like scientifical fandangly stuff, right? And Justin's like on Capitol Hill doing like changing the world through lawmaking stuff. And we're here talking about a book that like sounds so diametrically, <laughs> so diametrically separate. And I love that you're like, I'm doing the science, but also looking at what we do with psychedelics. I make the law and also I teach the meditation. Did you guys, was there like, was there like a battle going on in your heart and mind where like one won and then the other one came out? Or were you always balancing the two? Uh, I'm going to go Justin first, and then we're going to come to Lee on that one. You know, honestly, Dan, it was mostly like just a feeling like, oh, my God, nothing's working right now. <laughs> you know, in that world of <laughs> politics and, you know, and dealing with climate change and on Capitol Hill in D.C. And, and so much of Lee's work with the private sector and universities. It's like, what are we going to do about all the problems in this world? How are we going to be effective in bringing more sanity? Mm. And we both just had this intuition as we felt really, honestly, really pretty sad and despondent about the state of things mm -hmm. is that maybe the problems facing humanity aren't necessarily going to be solved with more thinking or talking. Mm. We need to make more silence in our lives so that we can find more intuition and so that we could find bigger, more generative, creative answers, mm -hmm. personal issues we need to solve and global issues too. Mm-hmm. What we, about late Yuli? Yeah, we threw that idea that Justin was just speaking to out to Harvard Business Review. We gave them a few different ideas for an article and threw in this sort of wild card of writing about silence. And mm -hmm. to our surprise, they said, yeah, write about silence. <laughs> so we're like, okay. And, you know, we did that and it, it resonated with a lot of people that was just, it was widely shared and it was a signal to us that there was something here um, more than we really had imagined. So we took some steps back, started researching, uh, you know, interviewing people, following the creepy cookie crumbs, you could say, mm -hmm, or the mm -hmm. donut crumbs, we could say. Yeah. There are um, no crumbs, though, because yeah. we all of the donuts. <laughs> <laughs> right. We started interviewing people like neuroscientists and activists and poets and executives and national politicians and a man incarcerated on death row and a Grammy-winning wow. opera singer and a heavy metal frontman and you know, a cowboy lumberjack, of course, and an mm -hmm. Air Force lieutenant. Did. Yeah, as one does. <laughs> and an Air Force lieutenant colonel. Oh, and a whirling dervish as well. So we asked these people, we went to all these people, and we asked them this question, what's the deepest silence you've ever known? Mm -hmm. It's a question, actually, I'd like to ask you in a bit here. I'll have you ponder. Mm. Yeah, and through their stories and insights, we've written this book that looks at why silence matters and how we can find it in this really loud world we live in right now even in amidst all this thing these things you're telling we're doing you know with scientists or we're doing on capitol hill mm -hmm. how do we find silence what are the ways hmm. mm -hmm. so this leads to a question because you're up in the old berkeley you're in the mountains so did you move to the mountains from Capitol Hill? Like, were you commuting? What was it? What was it? How, how does that? I need, do you know what? Let's it's a commuting. good story. Well, whatever you want to do, but it's a yeah, good story. I, I yeah, I want this story. Mm -hmm. 
and I need your input. What's more yummy? How you guys met, and then the story, the story, and then how you guys met. The the two are related. Okay. You know, Dan, I was let's do the thing. Let's do the thing. <laughs> you know, I was in the middle of this life in Capitol Hill, and um, my wife was also working in politics and realizing again, like, what are we going to do? It's too loud on Capitol Hill these days to even think. There's mm-hmm. like constantly, you know, lobbyists glad handling you and alarm bells ringing that it's time to go vote on legislation and, you know, mm-hmm. TVs blaring. And I wanted to do deeper thinking and writing. Uh, my mm-hmm. wife, Verity similarly wanted that. So we moved out to the mountains near Santa Fe, where we already had a good community of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to those delicious blue corn lavender donuts, <laughs> a really beautiful arts and literary scene here. Yeah, very much. I just, you know, it was one of those moments where it's like, you know, take the leap and the net will appear. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was going to do out here. You know, figured at that time I could telecommute a little bit and start a consulting firm, but it was pre-COVID. So that was a little bit of a, uh, you know, a little bit of a jump. (laughs) But but, so as I was looking for what to do next, a good friend recommended that I meet Lee because this intuition I had was, you know, rather than just working on political changes I had been, or just working on writing, I was writing for some different publications to really think about how to bring in some more um, coaching and organizational leadership work and mm-hmm. to think in a kind of full spectrum way from deeper visioning and contemplation all the way to communications and public policy change. So my mm-hmm. friend said, Oh, you've got to meet Lee, who's an expert in this and teaches this and is a mm-hmm. master coach in this. And, uh, we started writing together and that led to this Harvard business review article. And both of us just having the same intuition about the power mm. of silence for, for our health and our clear thinking and to find solutions to challenges. So how we met is kind of how this book emerged. Mm. I love it. I love when synchronicities like this unfold because I mean, I mean, there was an energy that we just felt when we just hopped on and I could just feel that there's a coherence between you two. And I'm wondering if it's, the conscious connection to the common field of silence or that plus a connection that you guys have of your respect for the silence. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that. Mm. That's an interesting question. Well, one, one more little detail about that friend who introduced us is she said to us both, you know, she said to me, you need to meet Justin. He could be your brother. And uh, we don't know exactly what she meant by that, but we say, you know, it turns out she's right. And so this is my brother, Justin. We are we we are so deeply connected, and silence is definitely this place. This this exploration and now five year exploration of silence um, has deepened that connection, and we mm. hope we hope and plan to work together for many many years to come. Um, so the connection deepened in the silence. And there is a lot in this book about how shared silence is magnified, Mm. you know? So here we've been on this journey, exploring this topic and also sharing silence. And it just for us anyway, it's a magnified thing. Whereas often silence and solitude are sort of collapsed. It Mm. may be that you feel the deepest silence you've ever known in solitude, or it may not. So we've we're of the we're of the type that really love our silence shared a lot. Mm. It's <laughs> funny though because we're really not we're not the kind of people who a lot of people would peg as getting a lot of silence. <laughs> 
I have uh, I have two year old twins, a five year old, and you know. Oh wow! Yeah. My son just turned eighteen months tomorrow. So oh, wow! Congratulations. Yeah. You're two. I, I know. Yeah, you got two. <laughs> not not a lot of silence. No, not a lot of breathing or not a lot of writing breathing at all. At least we're sleeping. <laughs> yeah, Zumba teacher and a choreographer. So we're just like we live Woo! in world that have a lot of sound and stimulus, you know, and it's like mm. that. But this book isn't about running away to monasteries. It's not about mm. how to escape the noise of the world. It's mm-hmm. about how to find silence within, thankfully, you know, singing and dancing and buzzing. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. about how to find spaces of silence, sometimes deep, immersive silence. But more than anything, it's about how to appreciate silence, you know, because mm-hmm. the, the kind of proposition we're putting forward in this book is that it will really help a lot of the problems society's facing, but that we're all facing in our lives mm-hmm. to appreciate silence more. Mm-hmm. So I'm a human that loves their silence. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't function if I haven't had enough silence. So I have a deal with my other half that I get to go away and get breathing space so I can have silence because I could become like a, a meanie grumpy grouch if I don't get yeah. sufficient silence. But one of the things over the last, because uh, Ethan, he's, he doesn't really cry that much. Um, he, he makes noises when he needs something and ends the noises when he gets it. So been really, really blessed with him as a, as a baby. Now he's getting a bit more vocal. Right. Um, but, um, over this time that I've had less space, especially with the pandemic and whatnot, um, even being in a country like Mexico that has been more open, I haven't had as much freedom to go and be silent and so I've had to find inner silence regardless of the noise that's around me. And that's exactly. been. exactly. So I wanted to actually ask, obviously, I'm looking forward to reading the book. Mm-hmm. But and is there any reference to that in, in the book and the work that you guys have done and the work that you've done with yourselves as well? Oh, yeah. So we are really interested in those moments, those micro moments, you could say, where we find mm-hmm. silence. And mm-hmm. what's important, maybe at this point, maybe to be defined, to define noise. Like, what do we mean by that? Mm -hmm. So we're talking about auditory noise for sure. That which Mm -hmm. we measure in decibels that we're Mm -hmm. familiar hitting the ears and even the nervous system Mm -hmm. um, and jangling us like that. Mm -hmm. Then we're looking at informational noise, that which is so Mm -hmm. on the rise um, through our screens and and demanding our attention in a way that we've never experienced. So our before as humans, so our attentional networks are maxed out with the amount of things grabbing for our attention. Mm-hmm. And then we are also really interested in internal noise, um, mm-hmm. that which occurs in the mind, um, ruminative thoughts, intrusive thoughts, anxiety, depression, all of these things future thinking compulsively backward, you know, remembering compulsively, all these things. So there's a common element to these in the ears, in the screen, in our minds, this types of noise, they pull us from what our, our goals are, our intentions are, how we want to live this life. So that's a basic understanding of our frame of, of noise for this. Yeah. And then the other, the flip side of what Lee is saying too, is what is silence? And we think about it at, at, you know, at one level, the silence is the absence of noise as Lee just defined it. It's the absence of all this unwanted distraction that's in our ears and on our screens and in our thoughts. 
so it's this space, the silence where no one is making claims on your consciousness, where no one making claims on your attention, where there's nothing interfering with your clear perception and intention. But we also say that silence has a deeper level, even deeper than the absence of noise as we're describing it. There's a kind of silence that isn't just the absence of noise, but it's also a presence unto itself. Mm. And in all these conversations with different kinds of people, as Lee talked about, when we've asked them, what's the deepest silence you've ever known? You know, sometimes it hasn't been auditorily quiet. You know, it's been like running the perfect line through Roaring Rapids or the 4 a.m. mark at a dance party when all the self-conscious thought just disappears and you're just so in the rhythm. There's all these different kinds of silence people have told us about. So to what you were asking about, Dan, you know, this is a big part of it, like how to find the silence within ourselves. In the book, we interview a guy named Jarvis J. Masters, who's become such a hero to us. He's someone who has been on death row for 30 years in San Quentin prison for a crime that the evidence shows that he certainly didn't commit. And over 30 years, because of all these tech technicalities, he's remained in prison. It's a it's a such a deeply tragic story. And also he's found ways to find quiet amidst this crazy noise of death row. You know, there's people yelling, people screaming, lo-fi radios, you know, nonstop party beats and sports commentary on these crackling radios, you know, guards yelling at people, people just fear the internal noise of fear. And he tells us that he's able to quiet the noise around him by quiet quietening his own responses to the noise hmm. and he's like a guide for us and how to do what you're talking about you know hmm. because you know he obviously has it way harder than any of us or most people alive these days but hmm. it's like he's such a model we found hmm. because we wanted this book to not be a book about how to find silence for people who want to go off to monasteries. Mm -hmm. This is an example of how to find silence in one of the noisiest places. Yeah. Because I mean, one of the things I love to, to reference is once you've seen something happen once the brain can no longer define your reality as being restricted from experiencing it. It may have a different grade of probability, but it can't write it off as possible. And so sharing a story like Jarvis's of someone who in the midst of such noise, and with opportunity for resignation to the noise and what it represents has still done the work. Because I, I make no mistake, listeners, finding silence, even if you have it easier than Jarvis is still going to be more work to do. He was prepared to do the work, done the work, and has done it to a degree that people like you two who have been interviewing people around the world around this topic are inspired by what he had to say about it. Mm. That's truly awesome. Truly, truly awesome. Yeah, he's an incredible being who really links his ability to um, get into silence as, as an ability to tap into his compassion. Once he got a little bit more quiet, mm. he could actually open himself to what other people were experiencing around him. He noticed like these tiny scars on men's faces and hands, and he mm -hmm. started to wonder about the stories behind them and even ask and occasionally that that would be shared. So when he quieted himself, he was able to be more expansive, more available to what was going on around him. This kind of created this peace and calm. It's part of how he relates to others. And he's really quite 
we call it quite a mensch in the in mm-hmm. the prison, in that that um, people people find quiet through him. We mm-hmm. find quiet through him even outside. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he's a teacher that really he um, transmits the teaching of noticing what's in your sphere of control. What can you mm-hmm. do? And he's saying, you know, I can quiet the noise within myself. I can quiet the response to the noise I have. I can mm-hmm. connect to compassion. And then also looking at one sphere of influence. Um, and then that which you don't have control over, which you just have to let go. And for him, mm-hmm. that's a lot that he does not have control over. As you've been interviewing all this, and I'm still, I, I need the lumberjack story as well. I don't want to have too many spoilers. <laughs> I don't want too many spoilers from the book. Uh, to share too many. But um, what are some of the, I mean, th- th- that is a tragic and yet beautiful example of, of this exploration that you've been giving us the opportunity to go on through the book. But have there been any that have surprised you either with the grace with which someone can step into silence or the challenge that people have faced? in connecting to the golden silence. We described the story of this guy named Cyrus Habib, who was one of Iranian immigrants to the US and he went blind when he was eight years old. Oh, wow. And then he taught himself, you know, learned Braille and went to Columbia and Oxford as a Rhodes Scholar. And then, yeah, and he became the Lieutenant Governor of Washington State, the number two official. And, you know, this really big state, seven plus million people when he was like 35 years old. And everybody thought this guy was going to become a U.S. Senator next or the governor of the state, like run for president one day. And he made this big announcement to everyone and everyone was ready to hear his next move. And he announced that he was taking a vow of poverty, chastity, and obedience as a novice Jesuit. And everyone was like, what? Wait, <laughs> wait, like, wait, 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 Left wait. politics, <laughs> left politics to, to join this super strict, austere religious order and yeah. took a vow to live in poverty. And he's studying, he's just focusing on spirituality now. And it was so fascinating, Dan, speaking with this guy, we really got to know him and what his thought process was like when everyone thought he was going to be president or, you know, at least a governor or senator, he just goes and and basically starts living like a monk, like straight to that. And we interview him before and after he makes the jump. We Mm -hmm. first interview him when he's still lieutenant governor. And then we interview him just after he's taken this long, silent retreat. It was actually just during the 2020 election. Here's this guy. He's a politician. And yet he Mm -hmm. can't find out who wins the election because he's in silence in Mm -hmm. November 2020. Mm -hmm. So So he takes us through what the whole process is like. And it's on one hand, you know, it's a big relief from all these crazy intense responsibilities and all the noise in his life. But your question about the silence being really difficult, once he was just sitting there alone with his thoughts, it was so hard. It was like all that auditory noise, you know, TV blasting, constant fundraising and being at parties and conversations, negotiations, all of that was gone. Hmm. And yet it was so noisy in his head. And, and he takes us through, like, why was it so hard to be in silence after all of that? And he investigates for himself, like, why was it so noisy in his head? And he tells us it's because he felt that he was in this whole mode of living where he derived his self-worth from performing for other people, 
from needing to look good, from needing to be impressive. You know, and here he was like an immigrant to this country, the United States, um, blind, you know, an outsider in his community, different from everyone else. And like he needed, he felt through his life, he needed to prove himself, needed to prove himself. And then he totally proved himself, you know, did all these like, yeah, right. you, you proved yourself, but you, you did it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then here he was realizing he couldn't live that way mm. and realizing that he needed to finally be happy where he was and stop judging his self-worth on how he was performing for other people. And once he realized, you know, he would ask himself, you know, where do I really want to be in my heart? Once he realized it was exactly where he was in that practice he was doing the noise calmed and he said it was like all of a sudden he could appreciate life he could appreciate when he was washing dishes and he described it as like turning down the noise so we could in his word he said so it's like we could become connoisseurs of creation hmm. we can appreciate the food we can appreciate the beauty we can appreciate the love in our lives hmm. And the path to doing that was releasing the story, releasing his attachment to the identity that had been built by other people's stories, essentially. Yeah. And he made a big leap <laughs> to do that. Like, yeah. oh, I'm just going to go be a Jesuit priest. And for those of you listening who don't know what the Jesuit order is, they are no joke. They are. <laughs> I've actually studied the history of the Jesuit order um, many, many years ago. And like, they take they make serious people look like comedians so way to go yeah yeah bro. i i wouldn't be able to do it what about yeah. <laughs> did any stories jump out for you or did you Actually, want to dovetail on justin's yeah share? I, thought, I thought it would be nice to bring in some of those um you know we avoid a really rigid definition for silence but we turn to these other devotees of silence and mm-hmm. and ask them some of those what how they would define silence and so we spoke with gordon hempton who's um a world, the world's foremost acoustic ecologist who spent mm-hmm. decades going all over the world uh, recording the quietest places on earth mm-hmm. and um, beautiful recordings of these silent little spaces. And he's preserving, trying to preserve those through those recordings. Anyway, he describes silence as time undisturbed. Mm. And he also calls it the think tank of the soul. Hmm. Just to give you some different flavors. So um, Pierre Shabdakan, a Sufi teacher, mystic, he tells us that silence is not silent at all. It's teeming with life and joy and ecstasy, but it's quiet of thoughts of the self. It's quiet of foolishness. Mm. Just kind of relates to some of these we were talking about. Roshi Joan Halifax, who's also in Santa Fe, a pioneering Zen priest and anthropologist, calls it the place where the egoic self rattles and scratches but also where we can learn to listen and learn to see. Hmm. Hmm. There's more. I'll add one more. Rupa Maria, an internationally touring musician, songwriter, activist, physician, associate professor at the University of California, San Francisco, tells us that silence is the place where music comes from. So she's worked all these practices into her life for the music to come in. So creating silence for the music to come in. She also, as a physician, has found that silence is critical to really offering healing care 
especially mm. when she worked with the Lakota, Dakota, and Dakota people and Standing Rock. And so she um, found herself like filling too much of the space and needing to recede into silence and really listening and allow for these big pauses for people to really feel heard culturally. That was of the utmost importance. I remember one of my first teachers, Montu, um, when he was supporting my deconstruct, the deconstruction of my association with the concept of time, he asked me the question, he said, if we refer to the smallest thing as seconds and milliseconds, what happened to the firsts? And he said, the first are where the silence is. And that's what births the seconds and births. And after, actually, if we can pay attention to the space that all sound emanates from, we can start to connect to that undisturbed space realm of infinite possibility that we call, um, he didn't call it time, but I want to call it time in context of our conversation, uh, so mm. silence for the mm -hmm. context of this conversation. Because mm. even every now and then when I, I'm conscious of it and I'm in conversation, and even with myself, I sit my attention in the silence that is birthing all of my words, the firsts before those seconds. And it really, and I've been doing it in this conversation because seeing the, the description of the work that you were doing just brought me back to that. And it just gives me this depth of connection to the space, a depth of connection to myself. It allows me to listen without thinking about what I'm going to say next, because my attention is focused on the silence that's birthing what you have to say. And these beautiful descriptions that you've given of time, I mean, these are just, the words are just mediums of carrying an energy and the energy that they're carrying is an invitation to come back to those first and to come back to ourself and to come back to silence, to allow healing, to allow new ideas to be born, to allow healing to happen, to allow connection, to allow compassion. It's mm. really, really beautiful. Thank you for sharing those things. Oh. And thank you for, thank you for sharing that about that seconds and milliseconds. I think both our minds are blown. By that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, love wow. it. They're, called, they're called seconds. Where are the firsts? Yeah, what, what's the firsts? But I think that's like, oh man, Dan, you just really got to the essence of why we wrote this book. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, because so many people right now, ourselves included, I mentioned before, like, what are we going to do about this world? Why are things mm -hmm. the way they are right now? And it's like, if there's so much talking, there's so much thinking, there's so much, you know, posturing on social media and mm -hmm. telling everything. It's like, how do we connect to that place of rest, that place of expansiveness from which the words and thoughts and ideas arise? You know, it's like, how do we take a temporary break from this, you know, pervasive responsibility in our culture of mm -hmm. having to think of what to say? Mm -hmm. And it comes back to what you were saying about, you know, not always thinking of the next thing to say, but being present, being mm -hmm. in silence in that way, more spontaneity, you know, more mm -hmm. presence in this moment. Mm -hmm. And that's what we say in the book, you know, describe silence as presence too. Mm -hmm. Is it true silence? isn't just the space where it's like, you know, we're sitting alone with no sound or nothing on, but we're like worried about the future. The true mm -hmm. silence, the, the real silence we're reaching for is this place where there's nothing making claims on the consciousness. Mm -hmm. We're appreciating and present and receiving the gifts and the love of life. Mm. What's really just literally as you were, what emerged literally as you were saying is that silence is the language of the divine. Mm, absolutely. 
right? Yeah. That, in, that intuition can speak from there. The creativity can speak from there, new ideas. And if we're so locked up in what's being said or what the problems are, we're stuck in the seconds and not available to the first where the truth, where the actual solutions can be birthed from. That's yeah. very close to a Rumi quote where he says language, uh, silence is the language of God. So mm-hmm. there you are, you and mm-hmm. Rumi, Dan. There's actually so many. There's that Rumi quote, silence is the voice of God, the language of God. And and Black Elk, who is a visionary medicine man of the Ogallala Lakota people, you know, the mm-hmm. people who today live around Standing Rock and in that region, you know, who's mm-hmm. one of the great visionaries. Um, he said, for is not silence the very voice of the great spirit? Mm. You know, and the Tao Te Ching says the name you can say isn't the real name. Mm. So one thing we look at in this book is like, you know, we go through the neuroscience, we go through the medicine, why mm. silence matters for our health. You know, we speak to that, a lot of the leading neuroscientists about this, but then we tune into why all the wisdom traditions of the world, all these great spiritual, religious, and many philosophical traditions all speak of silence as this pathway to truth, and many speak of silence as this essence of truth itself. Hmm. This is one of the things I love about this, one of the many things, is so we're actually just at the time of recording, we've got a couple more interviews to do for a documentary that we're working on, a short documentary called Manifest Nation, and we're looking at manifestation um, through the eye of neuroscience. So we've got some neuroscientists. We just interviewed the guy who created the MRI and just looking at the scientific perspective that gives the container that, that structure that allows the magic to happen in. And it sounds like you guys really took that approach with this work. Also, again, having the structured legal background, having the, the, the scientific background and yet having this capacity to understand the language of the spiritual realm and of mindfulness and, and, and these great ideas, um, were there any challenges that you had bridging these two worlds? Or did you find it relatively easy to connect structure and the magic of silence? Mm, that's a great question. I think, at least for myself, just in my, I've had some different approach, like going into this, I think I thought we would do the science part, the, you know, and we would start with that because mm-hmm. our audience would likely um, enter appreciated entering through that doorway first before getting to the spirit. Maybe I thought that would be kind of clear cut defined and then the spirit would happen. But when we actually wrote it, the, in particular, the article, the, I'm sorry, the chapter about um, neuroscience, the mute button for the mind Mm -hmm. that ended up feeling like wildly spiritual like really like way more cosmic than we ever imagined. I mean, of course we talk about all these things with the, you know, where, where, where the mute button might live, where the sort of our inquiry into this chapter was in the prefrontal cortex is in the posterior circular cortex. Is it in the default mode network? You know, all these, like we're looking at all these things, but the, the neuroscientists we spoke with were really incredibly humble about what how much we know and how little we don't we don't know and um and there was a lot of room for mystery Mm. and i suppose that's what left that 
you know, nice and open. Also, this that chapter steered us towards experiences that are often mystical experiences, like what are called self-transcendent experiences, STEs. So flow states we look at, we look at moments of awe, but we look at mystical experiences, which are often spontaneous and very hard to describe. Lots of the experience is often described as ineffable. But um, what we were, when we, when we looked at this, we found that there was just so much um, wonder in the part of the scientists about these states where we would actually transcend our egoic self and then connect simultaneously to all things. So feel diminished, but also larger, you know, mm. a drop in the ocean, but also the ocean and all its vastness. So anyway, it ended up being way more of a spiritual chapter than we imagined. What would you add, Justin, from that? You know, I mean, it really raised as we journeyed into the science of silence, Dan, we were struck with a really big question, which was, is there even such a thing as silence? And <laughs> we didn't set out, you know, wondering, at first, like, yeah, of course, silence. Yeah, but a thing. Started, yeah, it's a thing, exactly. But, you know, we started researching it and finding that, you know, all these distinct fields, you know, astronomy, biology, physics are all finding that everything in our universe is constantly in motion, you know, mm -hmm. vibrating, pulsating, even at the subatomic level. Mm -hmm. So if everything is vibration, then <laughs> is there even such a thing as silence? <laughs> so we explored this story from uh, John Cage, who is this kind of avant-garde composer in the mid 20th century was kind of mm -hmm. his time. And, and uh, he's famous for writing a piece of music called 433. That was just four minutes and 33 seconds of silence. And he actually wrote the sheet music for it. But the point wasn't to give the piano player a break. He actually composed this piece of music so he could get people to pay attention as though they were listening to a piece of music, but to just pay attention to the silence. And it was written in open air concert hall so people could listen to the rustling of the leaves and the, ah. the breeze. And, but anyways, he came on to this, this you know, fascination with silence that he had in his life because years earlier, he went to an anechoic chamber, which is supposedly a totally soundless room. They have all these panels on it to um, absorb all the vibration. And this was in the 1940s. He went into it. It was the Harvard campus. Mm -hmm. And not there, he complained to the engineer who was in charge of the room. And he said, hey, you said this room was going to be silent, but there were two sounds. You know, there was a high sound I heard and there was a low sound. And the engineer told him, oh, yeah. The high sound was your nervous system in operation. The low sound was your blood in circulation, which is like this crazy story of how, you know, we could go in the most silent place and there's mm -hmm. still sound. So it's like, so what is silence then? You know, mm -hmm. we come to this, you know, we come to this realization in interviewing all these academics and, and others and, you know, and, and in our own and, lum and lumberjacks. <laughs> Yeah, and lumberjack. That <laughs> like silence is a subjective experience. That mm -hmm. all you know, we all know that it exists, but it's hard to define. You know, mm. a mind that doesn't perceive any sound or stimulus. These neuroscientists and academic psychiatrists told us, you know, is in a word dead. Mm. That there is an experience that every human being knows. Mm -hmm. of silence of being beyond the distraction of mm -hmm. being 
beyond you know the the sound and stimulus the vibration of disturbances but it's up to each one of us to look inside and identify what that is so it's like the point of this book in a lot of ways too is like you know meditation is wonderful mindfulness is wonderful but not everyone does it not everyone wants to do it not everyone, not everyone can yeah. <laughs> and exactly yeah you know people have different you know physical barriers to doing it people have different you know religious views that may keep them from doing it as you know buddhist practice but the idea of this book is regardless of religion regardless of anything everyone alive can tune into the experience of silence and there's no questions like, oh, am I doing it right? Am I doing it enough? Just tuning into it, appreciating it as, as each person experiences it. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm even reflecting on the question that you asked earlier, Lee, about my, you know, a time for silence for me, deep in silence. Yes. And on the back of this, it was, I remember in 2000 and, oof, 2000 and, or three, 2003, uh, I moved up to Scotland. Um, it was a little village called East Wims on the east coast of Scotland, about 10 minutes drive from uh, Kirkcaldy, um, and yeah, up to Glenrothes and about 30 miles from Edinburgh, so out on the coast. And I remember I went up there with some, some friends who had someone who lived up there the first time I visited. And I remember walking out at night and the sky looking that God had taken icing sugar and just mm. popped it all over the sky. And it was just a, a gentle breeze. And I just felt, <sighs> it was about six months after I just lost everything the first time. And so I was in a really empty space, not really knowing what I was doing and where I was going. And I remember that that gave me the jump start to go off and, and create again. And ever since then, I, I, I just really deepened relationship to looking at the stars and being near water. It's one of the things that pulled me when I came to Cabo, I came for three days and didn't leave. And one of the things is my friends that I stayed with have a place in Manganitas on the, on the beach. And I went to sleep looking at the stars, listening to the water and everything just felt, ah. Oh. And so that for me is any time that I'm in that particular combination of natural expression, Clear sky with stars and water. That's when I'm in my silent place. Beautiful. Mm. Oh, I love that story for so many reasons. And I love that it's a touchstone for you to return to those, then back you are, back you are mm -hmm. to that, to that moment. Mm. Definitely That's the thing angry. about a mystical experience is you can return to it like that. Mm -hmm. Beautiful and build upon it. Mm. Oh. I love, I love too how you blend the visual with the silence. <laughs> a lot of people think about it like, oh, silence. Like I was away from, you know, away from the, the kids and away from <laughs> all this, and it was quiet. But that is such a, you know, some people talk about like the synesthesia of the different senses blending together. But like mm. the way you described about that icing sugar in the sky, you know, and about the clear water and about the stars. Mm -hmm. Like there are visual cues that quiet your mind, mm -hmm. you know? So one of the things we really um, focused on in our explorations in this book are, you know, the feedback loops of noise, mm -hmm. how sometimes there's so much auditory noise going on and so much informational noise that that creates noise internally too. Mm -hmm. 
And there's also these kind of good feedback loops as well. You know, there's these, the, the kinds of feedback loops we want, where it's like when we see beauty and we can take the, a moment to perceive the beauty and to really take it in, to receive it as a gift, it's like that quiets us in ourselves. And that, that's so, I, I, yeah, I received something beautiful from what you just shared, Dan. That's really nice. Thank you. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Starting to bring this home a little bit now, guys. Just, um, is there anything that we've not covered? I know mm. I'm so random. Like, one of the things I love when I'm, I get to meet awesome humans like you is I want to have a conversation that explores things people probably aren't going to hear on another podcast that you've done. And so I am literally just sort of feeling into the space and seeing what emerges. Mm. And, and thank you for playing with me and allowing us to have this this exploratory, enriching conversation about silence, what it means and sharing the stories and the work that you do. And I really, really appreciate you. But have we not covered something that you'd love to ensure that the listeners get about the work that you do, who you are and, and this book that's available now? Listeners, please, we popped a link in the show notes. Do go ahead and grab it and reach out to these two. We'll make sure we, we find a way for them to connect with you as authors also and just to share their experiences with the book. So is there anything that you've missed? One thing, one thing that I'd love to bring up is is one piece that we sat with a lot in writing this book, which is that there's a side of silence, you know, that we could call complicity or complacency in the face of what's wrong. Or some mm-hmm. people would say, you know, silence is violence. Mm-hmm. And, and we honor that in this book. You know, we mm-hmm. say that, you know, the, the refusal to speak up and exercise your voice in the face of what's wrong you know, taken as a whole is a tragedy and could be an evil in this world. Mm. We honor that. But the, what we say in this book, though, and, and what we've come to in, in, in investigating this in our lives and in the world is that so much of the apathy in the face of injustice in the world isn't a function of silence so much as of noise. You know, when we're really caught up in, you know, promoting our own personal brand or, you know, caught up in the noise of social media and television or, you know, whatever it might be, that's what's driving so much of the apathy in the world. And if we can find the space to cultivate deep listening and tuning into nature, then it's actually really difficult to not respond when there's a need for a response, skillful response in the world. Mm. So we look a lot at Gandhi's experience with this. And Lee, you want to say something about that? About Gandhi? Yeah, he t- he um, actually kept silence every Monday. Gandhi hmm. kept silence every Monday. And so he still took meetings. He still attended conferences, but he wouldn't say a word. Hmm. And his wisdom behind that is that a seeker of truth has to experience silence. And so he, we imagine into this part is is using that silent space to discern what the true signal is, what the best course of action, the right choice of words, all these things. So on Tuesday, you would step, set forth and drop this incredible wisdom without notes, his friends and colleagues say, and that was his practice. So again, we're not Jarvis J. Masters and we're not Gandhi and we're not, <laughs> but we're doing our versions of this. So we offer a practice in here where we just, introduce the idea of being wordless for some point, you know, some amount of time we call a wordless Wednesday, but it could be a part of a day. It could be a couple hours even where mm-hmm. you might set those agreements with your loved ones and, and um, the reason why, and perhaps they even want to join in and um, have just a, an, a temporary break from the pressures of thinking 
what to say, how to respond to, you know, that kind of knee jerk thing and see what happens, what happens to the architecture of your mind when you just relax that response. The other thing I'd say is that in this book, there are a lot of practices. It's we're really interested in um, inspiring people to experiment and keep that experimental mindset to try things out. It's Especially maybe even if you're like, nah, not that. I can't be silent for a day or a minute or what like is. Well, okay, you check that out and see what happens, you know? So we mm-hmm. offer all these, these, you know, all these people have fun, fabulous stories and ideas, and they're pretty some pretty off-the-wall things, like a chainsaw carver who finds his quiet through like carving up a big hunk of wood and different, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, so so don't be so sure what will bring you quiet. Maybe see what the signals in your body and in your mind and in your emotional self tell you. Am I quietening or is this creating more noise? Am I expanding or am I contracting? So we go through practices for individuals. We go through f- practices for families and friends and organizations and workplaces. And then we open it up into sort of a, a society that honors silence and what might some of those practices be, regulations, policies. So we're really trying to bring this out into a place of action and application and experimentation and discovery. Something told me it wasn't just going to be a purely philosophical book with you guys. No. There was going to be some movement forward. So I'm very excited to see that and also to play with some of these myself and listeners to hear what you guys have experienced playing with these two mm. these two these two t-o-t-w-o um again guys thank you so much for coming to hang out with me today and it's a weekend and these guys came to play hang out with me on a weekend everyone weekend this is our idea of a good time actually dan this is our what? idea of a good time yeah this is how we have fun get yeah. it get it get it i love it dan so good to meet you sir <laughs> you guys also you guys also um Best place for people to grab the book, to meet with you guys, to connect with you? Yeah, our consultancy is Astrea Strategies. That's A-S-T-R-E-A strategies.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll find our consulting work, our, you know, the link to the book, all that kind of awesome. stuff. Yeah. It's Anything else? On, um, on Amazon or Bookshop or Barnes & Noble or, yeah, pretty much all the booksellers. And it's being published yeah. by... HarperCollins, so it's on their website, and um, it's Penguin Random House, Ebury in the UK. Okay, awesome, awesome. Yeah. Well, we'll make sure we pop some links for people to do that. And again, guys, thank you so much. I'm really nourished. Uh, mm. I've got a bit of a crazy. I'm flying out to Dubai on Monday. Um, I think I've got a 19-hour flight. I'm going to practice some silence on the flight. Oh, yeah. Flight silence is good yeah. silence. Yes. Practice some flight silence. <laughs> Guys, till next time, keep dreaming with your eyes open. Remember, you can consciously choose a more silent and yet abundant and joyful purpose-driven life. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Duo with Dan with your host, Daniel McGenna. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit dmpotv.com. We'll catch you on the next episode of Do It With Dan.